Welcome to the Sajcast. I'm Mark Austin. I'm Stacy Roberts. And we, we are, are the Sons, Sons of, of Joy. Joy. You're listening to Sajcast number 14. Our 14th ever Sajcast. And our first ever annual Halloween special. Yes, we have a Halloween special, just like Charlie Brown and I guess the President of the United States. Maybe. I also noticed this is Sajcast 14, so we were lucky enough not to make it Unlucky 13 on Halloween. <laughs> or, this week's Sajcast could have been sponsored by Regret, that we didn't plan better, so that this could be number 13. Well, speaking of which, who is our sponsor? Our sponsor this week is Halloween. Makers of, you're not eating any of that candy until I check it. You're giving out apples instead of candy? What are you supposed to be again? Okay, so, into the current events section. Well, there's a couple of current events uh, happening in the world today. Many of them are scary. They are scary. Not all of it in preparation for Halloween, either. That's right. It turns out that a gigantic storm ravaged the east coast of the United States. And is ravaging it as we record. We are unaffected here in Cincinnati for the moment. That's right. But our sympathies are with our friends who are on the east coast, not to segue into politics. But you did mention that... It it was perceived by the media that the storm could benefit one or the other of the presidential candidates. Sure. And um, I reminded you that in American history, anytime America was in trouble, and this is, you know, this is kind of like, um, does it hurt more than it helps? But anytime America was in, in, in survival trouble, a storm appeared. And uh, it happened when Washington was fighting the British in New York. When the British were about to win, a fog settled in and nobody could escape. Yeah. And nobody could see anything. The Americans, uh, the British had to retreat because they were shooting their own men. And so everybody went back to their ships. Washington was able to retreat and regroup. Um, and so the storm essentially saved the nation at that time. And then in the War of 1812, we had a similar thing where the British were, uh, after they'd burned the White House, I think there was a, a hurricane type force thing. And so it's interesting that. You know, it seems like whenever there are big things going on, a storm will appear. So uh, we're not going to interpret that in any way. Well, I mean, you, it, it's not just us, too. I mean, right. if you recall the 300, there was a big storm that took out ooh, a lot of ships. That would have certainly, well, I guess the 300 didn't hold the, the gate anyway, but they wouldn't have held it nearly so long as they had if the hurricane hadn't come. And, well, the Spanish Armada, they might have something That's to say true. about that. That, those are all good points, and I think that you might say that the the storms, when they do appear, are kind of an anti-hubris device. Just when you think that you're going to whip the colonists back into subjugation, or teach Queen Elizabeth a maritime lesson, give her a give her a nautical spanking, as it were, um, something happens to remind you that there are times when you are completely powerless, and storms are good for that. Well, they're good for, say, Philip II of Spain. But in this particular case, this storm is really not good for anybody who is currently without power um, or, uh, you know, uh, even an exile from their own home trying to find food and shelter and warmth in what turns out to be a very cold day. So, um, once again, we are, our thoughts are with them, and uh, we hope that they're managing to get through. Well, you mentioned this. Well, I guess I mentioned the Spanish Armada and the uh, and the Persians Armada, but we had a very tiny wooden ship that sank yesterday, apparently because of the storm. 
which is the HMS Bounty. Ah. Which is a, a historical reproduction, obviously, that was, uh, that was built, uh, used in movies of all sorts, and, well, used to be. Apparently, it was off Hatteras yesterday, off North Carolina, and uh, the crew abandoned it in the storm because it was taking on water, and it sank. <laughs> well, how about so, that? I don't know if that'll change the election or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> it seems unlikely. But apparently, they're just sticklers for historical accuracy, and they just, you know, eschewed radios <laughs> and any sort of you know, informational systems. Although, yeah, it's like, when the bounty was sailing, there was no weather service, there were no cell phones. There was no electronic communications. The way that you knew a storm was coming was you looked outside. And everything was a hurricane in those days, wasn't it? I mean, you know, anything that was a, a good, strong storm, that was a hurricane. Yeah, well, you didn't sail into it. I mean, come on. <laughs> you, you Apparently, didn't. they didn't go to a safe harbor either. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Seems like dropping sail and finding a nice safe harbor would have been the thing to do. Yes. Go into the yacht club, have a cocktail, wait the storm out. But no. No. Not how that worked out. So let's see what other uh, what other current events were there. Well, there uh, we do have a note, which I I think this is an oxymoron. The Surface launch, the Surface launch, yes. Uh, the Microsoft Surface, the tablet that is supposed to well give the iPad a spanking, as it were, give it a run for its money anyway. Yes, and because you are hooked into Microsoft and all things Microsoft, you got yours first. Well, and I, yeah, so I did. I got mine last Friday. In fact, you got it first. It came downstairs, and <laughs> you signed for it unknowingly. Well, I don't open your mail. <laughs> uh, and uh, but that was a pre-ordered. I, I mean, my uh, my advantage of working for Microsoft benefited me in no way in this in this regard, except that I got the email that now you can pre-order, and so I did. <laughs> but uh, anybody could have pre-ordered, I suppose. Anyway, yeah, we got the Surface. It was uh, we. You were there for the unboxing. That's right. And it's it's a very it's a very beautiful device. It's a good size, weight. I mean, it seemed it seemed to meet all of the uh, the tableting needs that we could think of when we first. Well, and if I didn't say it. at the time that it, this is supposed to be the most sophisticated tablet in human history, why can't it find its own way out of the box? <laughs> but uh, we were we were messing around with it, and uh, and one of the big well, in case you haven't seen the Surface or, or seen any of the commercials, one of the big differentiators between this tablet and say the iPad or other tablets that are on the market, is it It has a keyboard that's designed to go with it, which uh, speaks to its productivity, right? You can yes. actually type on it. Well, well and, easily. Being, and being writers, whenever I go to the Apple store in Company of Geniuses, I always look at all the iPads and, and various Mac devices, and I type out the same question on every one of them and leave it up there. Do I like this keyboard? And most people... Uh, Apple folk, as it were, they say, who who cares about the keyboard? You've got fingers. You've got a screen. Just, you know, do everything with your fingers on the screen. I'm like, well, but I'm a scribe. I write words, and I need a keyboard to do that. Like, well, you could just dictate to Siri. Well, no, I'm not <laughs> going to do that either, because Siri never does what I want. Siri, take out the garbage. She doesn't. You know, their solutions are designed to fit their product, which doesn't have a keyboard. And so uh, the fact that the service came with a keyboard was an immediate grab for me because the thing that I use electronic devices for most in my spare time is to write things like blog posts and books. And, and yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that where the iPad is, is a, a wildly successful and useful consumer device for you if, to consume things. If you're creating things, it's not, the iPad's not the greatest thing in the world. Right. And so, yeah, the inclusion of that keyboard was pretty awesome. 
And the keyboard itself was pretty darn neat. I think we're going to have to make kind of a, a video or a real-time thing to put on the website to show how the keyboard hooks to it. Yeah, it, it's it, it's uh, by magnets, which we always thought growing up in the IT business was a bad thing to yeah, put it was, on a it computer. Yeah, it was counterintuitive because when we first started our IT company, this was back in the in the craze where you put your logo on anything. And salesmen would come to us and say, here, here's what you do. You put your logo on a, on a magnet, and then you can give the <laughs> magnets out. And people can put them on the side of their computers, and that way when they have problems, they can call you. And we're like, yes, which would be almost immediately because you're putting a magnet on the side of the computer. Get out of my office. It's a good marketing plan. <laughs> yes, it's, it, but it seemed a little, um, you know, cause and effect, and we didn't like that. So when you pulled out the Surface keyboard and it magnetically attached to the tablet, I'm like, well, you just broke your tablet. So good luck to you and Microsoft. <laughs> and it does. It snaps into place. So there's an yes. audible click of, of it just self-aligning and just like, what the hell? So we're going to do, do a video so you can see that. Well, yeah, and the other thing we thought would we were going to take our hand at, because uh, I guess in other current event updates, is over the over the weekend, yeah, over the weekend we finished Chapter 3. Mm, we did. Which which I have to say had flummoxed us for quite some time. Well, when you all read Chapter 3, you'll see why. Uh, we got, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> well, well, hopefully. You'll see, you'll see maybe where we could have faltered for a really long time, stuck on... As in most cases, when you're writing a book, it's, well, what's going to happen next? And although we knew what was going to happen after immediately next, we couldn't bridge the gap easily. And we Getting finally, between where we were and next was the hard part. Right. And so we managed to muscle through on Saturday. And so now Chapter 3 is done and Chapter 4 is off to a rollicking good start. Yeah, and we thought, what with this new keyboard that we kind of like, we, we might try our hand at actually writing a novel on the surface. Right, because the two of us clustered around an ever-shrinking device to write the book on <laughs> can only make the process smoother and more effective. It's the heart of collaboration. Well, I mean, it bears. I, I don't know, have we ever really talked about our, our process? Because we've we've been doing this since 88, as in yes. 1988. And we have tried all manner of contraptions because we're in the IT. I mean, we've done all oh, yeah. sorts of well, ways to try and collaborate. Let's, or to be more specific, we have said out loud a number of times, there has got to be some <laughs> kind of technological solution for this particular problem. There's got to be a better way to do this. Someone ought to build a machine. Well, and it, it turns out there really isn't, at least from our perspective of writing, which is, you know, we've tried... Uh, being, you know, basically uh, remote desktoping into one another's machines right. and all this. And it, it, we found through trial and error that basically one screen that we're both staring at, one person's typing and the other person's saying, don't type that. <laughs> that's sort of the the model that we've, we've found. And so at first it may think, oh, that's completely ridiculous to try and use a Surface for that. But since we actually it's just one keyboard and one screen, it's not all that ridiculous. Well, because, I mean, couldn't you... Uh, does the keyboard have to be attached for it to work, or can you just hand it to me and I can type over here? Yeah, no, you can you can type on the screen like an iPad. Yeah, well, so, I mean, you know, I could use the keyboard, you could use the screen, but but I guess the point to be made here is that we're going to explore the possibility of writing this the rest of this book on the Surface. Yeah, because also what's neat about the Surface is it has a USB port. Ah. And so if there's a, a keyboard you're especially fond of, that's a USB keyboard. You can just plug that sucker in. Right. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that, that that could be done. It gives us a lot of opportunity for a, a who's on first <laughs> thing because it's like, well, give me the Surface. Well, the Surface of what? Because <laughs> Surface is kind of a funny name. It is. And, and when uh, when Suzanne, Suzanne came over uh, Friday night and she got to 
to see the the surface firsthand and experience it. And she she put on the uh, the Facebook. She was really enjoying touching Mark's surface, and it it caused some confusion on the Facebook. As, no, I think the problem. I think that, I think the Facebook community immediately, as one, leaped to a conclusion that you probably weren't intending. <laughs> yes, per, perhaps not right then. Anyway, yes. not, not for sharing on the Facebook. No. Yeah, so the bottom line here is keep a keep an a, an ear out, and we'll uh, we'll update you as we go. We may even blog about this because we just can't stop creating content for some reason. Not sure exactly why. Yes, we're just trying to find a way. If, if we can find an effective way to collaborate that gets this book done, uh, not only does it get this book done, which you are all on the edge of your collective seats waiting for, but it helps uh, launch the next book, which will hopefully be right behind it. So we thought we'd depart a little bit from our, uh, well, I guess this might be Saj history in some ways, but we thought we'd share some some Halloween stories with you, Yes, being that it's Halloween, and we'd love to hear your Halloween stories, so if you've got some to, to share with us, put them up a, as a comment, and if you don't want to go through all the trouble of logging in, you can just leave an anonymous comment, that's okay too. And put your name on it. Put, in, in, the con- in the content of your comment, you can put your name in there. Well, if you don't want to remain anonymous. <laughs> Well, I think what people are afraid of is being drafted into co- co-hosting a Sajcast by leaving a comment because of Charles's instant karma experience. Yes, there has been some of that. Yes. He's fully recovered, though, and he went to a Comic-Con, so I think He's created well. several more podcasts since then. I know. He's a... He's In a fact, he, he has his own Surface update, because we both work at Microsoft. Oh, full full right. disclosure, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, he... he um, In one of his Point podcasts, he, he talked about his Surface, so we'll... We'll see if I can't link to that on the uh, on the page, so everybody might find it if they if they thoroughly enjoyed our time with Kevin Smith. I mean Charles Troy. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk some Halloween stories. And the question is, and I don't know how common this is, but I think everybody's got their favorite you know birthday story, their favorite Thanksgiving, their favorite Christmas, their favorite Groundhog Day. But the question that occurred to us is, what's your favorite Halloween? And that's something that I think most people don't really think about. I mean, when you're a kid, it's the one in which I got all the candy, which is a lot of them. Um, But as you grow up and have children, I think some of your favorite Halloweens are um, secondhand, in which you are having a good Halloween because your kids are having a good Halloween. And so you thought about yours and I thought about mine and it seemed like they were the same. Looking back, and and perhaps this is uh, something that only the adults in the audience will get. But our, my favorite Halloween, and I guess if yours is the same Halloween, uh, didn't occur when we were children. They were, yeah, they were they were adult Halloweens and not little kid Halloweens. Well, which... and that, that, there may be a geographical impediment to that too, because we grew up. Well, I I lived in New Jersey until I was ten, but after that, it was mostly hot climates, and so October was often a hot month. And when you put a costume on top of that, it was. It was it was hot, and the, and I think the point was that when I moved up here to Kentucky, Halloween was a whole new thing when you're an adult. Uh, it was a big event at my neighbors, Denny and Gretchen, because these people they were fond of holidays, any holiday really. Uh, they didn't really jump on Groundhog Day like like some people, but um, they said, well, "Well, what are your plans for Halloween?" And I gave them the standard line, which is. Uh, dress the kids up as something really cute and then take most of their candy away from them. And they said, well, yeah, but what are you going to do? 
I was like, well, I was going to dress the kids up and take most of their candy. Well, what are you not clear about? <laughs> they, and they had to explain this to me. Now, my neighbors, Denny and Gretchen, will probably be fodder for future Sajcast, but they were my first real neighbors as an adult because we lived in Florida. I lived in Florida in my early, you know, late teens, early 20s, and Florida is not really a big, strong community place where you, know, you may not even meet your neighbors until a hurricane blows your tree into their house, which is how we met our neighbors. But when we moved to Kentucky, it was a whole different thing. And so these neighbors... Well, to be fair, they weren't your first Kentucky neighbors either. It kind of depends on how you're living. Because oh, this was true. the first time you were, you know, kind of in the burbs and had lawns and a, and, right. and a proper neighborhood. Yeah, so my first, I guess, suburban yeah. neighbors. And so they said, well, no, here's how we do Halloween. We clear the driveway of cars. We get our fire pit. We put our fire pit and our barbecue grill in the driveway. We bring out coolers of drinks and mostly beer and other things. And we have a big cookout in the driveway near the fire pit because it's going to be cold, which I didn't count on. And every now and then, we'll send all the children out with one of the adults in kind of a trick-or-treat delegation so that, um, you know, for the most part, you get to hang out around the fire pit. And every now and then, someone else, you know, someone takes the kids around and you get your pictures. And it's it, it was way different from what I remember Halloween being as a child. And as usual, with most things that Denny and Gretchen came up with, I said, oh. What a great idea. Yeah, the best Halloween ever was a number of years after that first encounter with Denny and Gretchen. But, yes, I mean, I grew up entirely in Florida and South Florida. And, yeah, Halloween there is just weird. Because your costume selection has a lot to do with whether or not you want heat stroke <laughs> as a child. You know, and the and the smell of the bubbling plastic mask that's on your face. It's just... I mean, occasionally you'd get a cool Halloween, you know, where where you didn't feel completely tormented. But more often than not, you were just sweating out of your costume. And I actually remember, I think Margaret was a little girl at this point. It wasn't one of my Halloweens. Uh, but I remember there was a woman who was giving out very, very cold juice boxes. And it was a, it was a hit. Because the kids were just dying, you know, and they, they needed something cold. So, yeah, anyway, it's suffice it to say that Halloween in Florida is very, very different than it is uh, well, I guess in most of the country where you might actually have fall. <laughs> right. And the good news is is that having had that prior experience of the hot Halloween, coming up here, it was a it was a refreshing change of pace. It was a new thing for something that we thought we already had a handle on. And those are good. I mean, it's good to have that in your life where you say, oh, well, I know how this is going to go. It's like getting prime rib at Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's it's a new way of doing something um, that that changes your perspective and makes you realize that that even um, time-honored traditions can be slightly modified to make them better. Yeah, so the, the Halloween in question, I want to say it was probably eight years ago, give or take a year, but it was the first year that I moved up to uh, the greater Cincinnati area. Uh, and, and so I was here once for about a year, and then I went back to Florida, and then I have since returned two years ago or something. This was the first time I came up. My daughter was 10 or was about to be 10 that year. So she was either 9 or 10, and your daughters were 2 years and 4 years lo lower than that number. Right. So in the 10, 8, 6 range is basically what we're I think talking it about. Was, yes. yes. Which I have to say, if you're picking a Halloween, that's those are the golden years, right? They're, yeah. they're still perfectly happy to go out and do that. Well, they're perfect. Let's be clear. They're perfectly happy to dress up. Oh, yeah. Uh, they... They have no shame in the way of, of teenagers yes. like well, like mine, who who are agonizing over their costume choice because they don't want to look bad and 
there might be a boy around, a cute boy, of which we do not approve as policy. <laughs> but, you know, when they're when they're in the magical 10, 8, and 6, they'll dress up and, and oh, go yeah. trick-or-treating and they'll be out in front of the pack. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch from the sidewalk as they go up to the houses and trick-or-treat. Yeah, and so the way that, as I recall, the way that this all worked was we ended up at, at uh, Gretchen and Denny's, but we started at my house, and then we kind of walked, or Margaret and I walked to your house to pick up your girls, and then we walked all the way back to your first house in the neighborhood, uh, which was then occupied by your ex-wife. I should be clear that I lost my neighbors in the divorce. <laughs> Indeed. Although we were still able to go back and visit and, and have a fire pit, even though... Well, but that's because they found me delightful. They did not want me to lose them in the divorce. <laughs> they wanted me to stick around, and so they made it clear that after I had moved away... I mean, I mean, I only moved a couple blocks away, that whenever they were throwing some sort of, you know, in their party zones, which was the driveway, inside the house, in the basement, or in the backyard, I was invited. So we we took the children, and we basically marched them... And a pretty circuitous route along the way, hitting all the good houses. And and I have to say, this was... I'm curious, if we have Margaret on the Sajcast, we should ask her if that was, in fact, her favorite Halloween ever. Because um, I, would, I would have to guess it is, at least at her tender age, maybe when she has kids of her own, that'll change. But because the weather was just brilliant. I mean, it was cool, clear. It wasn't... It wasn't so cold as to be chilly, uh, or or to, to you know to make you want a heavier costume than the one that you had, and you know the leaves were at the perfect level of of having turned colors and hadn't yet dropped. And by the time we we finally made our way with all the kids and their you know accompanying uh, goodies over to the party, I think the girls went next door to you know play at mom's house. And all the grown-ups sat in the uh, in the front yard with the fire pit. And at that point, it was you know it was getting darker, and it was starting to get a little cooler. Then you were very very glad for the fire pit. Oh, and and I gotta point out that it 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 had a sense about it, like I'd imagine festivals used to be back in the in the Middle Ages in Europe. Because as we're walking from your house to my house to Denny and Gretchen's house, the streets are full, the sidewalks oh, yes. are packed, there are people everywhere, and I don't remember. When I was trick or treating as a kid in New Jersey, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'd see a kid here and there because back then, being the late seventies, your parents said, "Fine, go trick or treat." <laughs> um, they they didn't think about you know getting hit by a car, getting kidnapped, and you know razor blades and anything, all the things that people are terrified of now. Um, so the parents, I don't remember going with me, and um, here the parents, the kids, I mean, they would have they would have family members come from. From places where the pickings weren't so good, right? To our neighborhood, where everybody, every house had decorations for Halloween. Every other house had a fire pit and a group of people handing out candy. It seemed like the whole town came out for this thing in a way that I don't think we really do anymore. I don't know if the whole town, you know, oh your your particular village, our particular well as the subdivision, kids yeah, grow up, yeah. I mean, I guess there's there's less kids about, and so it's natural, right? Because I think your kids are at the kind of the tail end of the that uh, that group, yeah. So yeah, they're and and even they're now teenagers. So I guess I mean that may just be the natural ebb and flow of a neighborhood. Right. But it was nice to see. It was nice to be out doing the same thing as everybody else at the same time, which is something I don't clearly remember from childhood, and, and it yeah. lent a. It lent an air to the proceedings that was, well, it was nice. Uh, so it was one of the contributory factors to it being the best Halloween ever. It was. Share share with us what, what your best Halloween ever was or, or what made it good. You know, is it 
is it a childhood thing? Is it a grown-up thing? Is it the weather? Is it the friends? It was, you know, was it just a magical combination of all of those things? We would like to know. I guess in in other Halloween stories, there's the other aspect of this is is kind of being the dad, right? Right. Well, at least for us. <laughs> well, for, for others out there, it's being the mom or whatever, but being the grown-up in well, the situation. Let's, let's to use the military analogy to be. Uh, command authority to yes. be to be responsible responsible yes the ones who had to be in charge of whatever proceedings those were you know this will pop up in future sajcast too but supervising halloween was no different from me supervising my kids birthday parties when they were again in that magical age you know i remember that my oldest daughter her eighth birthday party involved some 20 little girls coming to my house because Unlike all the moms, I didn't really care if they got makeup on the walls and whatever else they were doing. So it was basically the kids' birthday, my kids' birthday parties were always held at my house because uh, I didn't really care about the mess and everybody else did. Yeah, as long as they're safe, go, go make it. Right. Mess. And so I found myself being command authority, not just in Halloween, but at birthdays and things like that. And after a while, you develop, um, you develop a knack for it, a process. But on Halloween, that takes a particular... I mean, we have to go through the... So you've brought back a pillowcase full of candy. <laughs> yes. Right? And, and we so, have to deal with this. Now. So uh, unlike my prior example, Halloween is... There's something in it for command authority. Well, if you do it right. Because, <laughs> ethically. Ethically. Because, on a, you know, the kid's birthday party... You're not gonna. You're not gonna what's say. That, uh, what's that? Uh, a Malibu Barbie? Oh, that's a nice Barbie. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna. You're not gonna say. Well, I don't think you should. You should play with this Xbox game. I think I should take it. But but uh, at Halloween, the currency is essentially the same. It's candy. Mm, yes. And so I developed a tradition early on of imposing rules because you know. Well, you have to. You have to lay all the candy out and sort it. Right. You have to sort it into acceptable candy. Not acceptable candy. And the good news is, is that when you're making rules, not acceptable doesn't need explanation. You can say, well, yeah, I mean, the, ostensibly it's the, we're looking for razor blades, which we've never found, but we, you know, we're thorough and diligent because right. that's the price of freedom. That's <laughs> right. But in my house, I have a particular fondness for nougat in Milky Way, Three Musketeers and things like that. Nougat. And so early on, I told my children, oh, you can't eat that. That's not, you won't like that at all. It's got nougat in it. And they, they developed a sense. They made a face. What? Oh, yeah. What's nougat? Yeah, ah. nougat. And if you, if, you, if you have credibility, such as I have with my children, they go, yeah, oh, we would not like that. And so by this Halloween, I didn't even have to be involved in the sorting. I would come back <laughs> from the kitchen from doing whatever I was doing. And there was a very neat pile of everything that had nougat in it. And they took everything else. And so um, one of the benefits of, of having that level of authority is that I got all of that candy. And my ex-wife, I think, was there briefly for Nuclear this. Miss. Yeah, and she said, what are they doing? And the children told her that, oh, well, we can't, you know, we would not like these at all. And um, that was where their mother started to... Shall I say upset the the nougat <laughs> the, the nougat equilibrium? Yeah, and so I had to tell her through clenched teeth, I have a system. <laughs> Your job is to turn around and leave, back away from my system. And she says, "It looks like your system involves you getting all the nougat that the children had to go out and harvest." I'm like, well, let's not make this sound like they were somehow put to work. It's not about me. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about their safety. And she said, why is nougat dangerous? And I said, get out of my house. And so uh, I'm hoping now, now, now that they're older, 
I should be clear to the listeners. They're on to me in a big way. They have figured this out. They have access to the internet. They can learn what nougat is. <laughs> yes. And commercials. I, I never actually had that problem for the most part because Margaret actually enjoyed like red vines and Twizzlers and, and a bunch of things that I really didn't care for. So yeah. I was like, yeah, go nuts. Enjoy all that. Uh, but it's funny because kind of it all kind of comes full circle because, yeah, as a as the parent of a small child, you're you're trying to sort this out for for danger and, and all that. And in the last Halloween that I can recall with Margaret, she was probably 17, 16 or 17. Kind of the exact opposite happened. So this is at the point where young people are developing a social consciousness. And she was um, she, animal rights is her big thing. And she, even to this day, all of her Facebook posts, well, not all of them, but a fair number of them are about, you know, uh, animal testing and animal rights and all that good stuff. And so for whatever reason, well, so, something to do with animal rights and animal testing, it, it occurred to her that she was going to self-sort her candy based on whether or not the manufacturers, Mars or, or Hershey or whoever, met her ethical standards for living. And so I have to say, on that Halloween, she walked away with uh, the tiniest pile imaginable, and I was left with, well, the ethical dilemma of having to deal with, well, they test on animals, but these things are full of peanut butter. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm just going to have to take one for the collective team here. Oh, and, and PETA doesn't have that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> I don't know why. It's so. just it's just funny that you know it it went that full circle to where it was uh, you know you're you're well on your way to adulthood because you're you're sorting your own candy now based on your own principles which is right. admirable in its own right and and of course razor blades were still sought out but we never found one we never found one <laughs> and even and even before there was rigorous sorting of candy or, or once the rigorous sorting of candy was done the other the other power given to command authority is to keep your kids from eating all of it at once yes in which case Halloween night. Starts really good, but ends really bad. And we didn't never, never wanted that to happen. So we would apportion out. We would, you know, say, take a, take a handful or two and, and go with that. And we'll bag the rest of it up. And I always stuck it in the pantry. And that led to a new pre Halloween tradition. Well, yeah, because in my house, I think you got to eat maybe a quarter of it. It depended on the size of the pile, I suppose. Yeah, sure. But yeah, invariably come Easter, when the next load of candy would hit, there would still be candy because. And it wasn't even that it was not the best candy. It was just that it was forgotten candy. Yeah, you forgot it. And, and really, it's, it's kind of a feast or famine thing. The, the day or two after Halloween when, you, when there's candy everywhere and you're still kind of going through your own, the stash that you pulled out on Halloween night, you're like, well, there's always candy. Candy's everywhere. It's, it's fine. And so you never really go looking for it. And so my October 30th tradition, and today is October 30th, I will be throwing out last year's remnants of Halloween candy. Yes, we should get a picture of that. <laughs> a bag of moldy old uh, sweet tarts and... <laughs> of course, these things, I mean, and honestly, they probably have a shelf life yes. that's up there with, with a... It's probably not even a shelf life. It's a half-life like they do with radioactive decay. But it's the principle. It's, it's well, been a year. Only, well, and let's be clear. New candy is coming in. Yes, just why, hours away. Hours away. <laughs> why, why should we preserve last year's candy... When a new a new harvest is coming in, indeed. So, we we decided rather than doing a, an actual review of a book this week, we would just kind of talk about maybe scary books and scary movies and what makes them scary. And that gets into a question which is excessively philosophical, but to reduce it to its elementals. Well, yeah, let's start with the the question I posed you, which is: Is the Telltale Heart scarier than Children of the Corn? And there were so many caveats to that. It's like, well. 
what scares you? Are you afraid of children? Are you afraid right. of corn? And if you're afraid of corn, what form is it coming? <laughs> Are you afraid of cornbread or is it just popcorn? And so it got a little silly. Um, the The question of is something scarier than something else it gets to archetypes and and what is well because you've got a classic horror story there yeah, you know right. uh, uh, so, you know something from the 1800s versus something that's totally contemporary or, or nearly so or nearly contemporary right and so it's it it does beg the question of what scares you and or or what scares the most people and yeah because societally at least I think we we definitely have seen in the last decade or two um, horror being completely synonymous with with well, horror, but I mean scariness, fear, and I don't, I don't know that that's a fair statement to make. Right, and it also depends on the time because Edgar Allan Poe could take the supernatural and make it scary because it was so alien to the people of his time. It was a, it was a thing to be feared. Uh, in modern times, with the advent of science, you know, more science anyway, um, you have to get back to what is scary and it seems like in a lot of modern horror stories and i'll draw on stephen king because i think i've read everything that he's written um but a lot of what it counts for modern horror is the sense of being alone of being isolated from humanity technology etc uh, in fact stephen king has done a number of of books in this in this uh vein even cujo about the rabid dog it wasn't that the rabid dog was scary because Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird showed us what to do about that. It was they were trapped in a car and there was no one else around. They were isolated. And being isolated makes you vulnerable. Well, uh, and, and, and to tie it into Poe, that's the cask of Amontillado. Right. And so that may be a better juxtaposition might be the cask of Amontillado and the children of the corn because the children of the corn is yet another isolation story you know the car goes well, off maybe misery is the is the perfect one then. <laughs> well, but i mean i think what we've got here is we've got a recurring theme in which yes. in which if you are alone things that normally wouldn't be a threat are now the biggest threat of all um i was watching the walking dead which is in case you're not familiar um uh, think of it this way a plague strikes all of mankind and they're isolated bands of survivors trying to uh, keep ahead of the the horde who wants to kill them but it's one of those things where if they were not alone, if they were not cut off from all the things that we on a daily basis take for granted, uh, their refuge is gone. And that's what's scary is that you're out on a limb and you've got nowhere to go back to. I think that is, is, is broad-based scary enough for most people. And that's why it seems to be a recurring theme in lots and lots of horror. I mean, there's the basic, the memes or, or you know, the... The big themes in the in the in horror are isolation, the the fact that people do really nasty things, right? I mean, just that that a normal person can be made, you know, villainous easily. That I mean, that that scares us all because we have to pass people on the street every day, and how do we know they're not Norman Bates, right? That's that's a different. I mean, we're we're in the world at large, but the world at large then is kind of the scary part because well, we don't we don't know who to trust, and and being human. You know that humans are capable of savagery. Yes. And so it is not something that is bred out of us or civilized out of us. You know it's always there. And so part of the element of the fear that you're talking about is that it might just one day open up and be there and you can't do anything to stop it. Yeah. And, and aren't there... I mean, it seemed to me that there were kind of two kinds of of fear and, and horror to deal with. Um, one was when you were a kid, you went to Disney World in Orlando. And you went to, of course, the Haunted House. 
And as a kid, that was pretty scary. And as an adult, it's fun because it's, you know, it's this gothic-y children horror. It's, you know, ghosts and, and, and apparitions that float about and, and, it's the and there's fear. cobwebs and candles and it's the things that a little kid might be scared of. But then there's the stuff that scares grown-ups is a whole nother ball of wax. Yes, indeed. Well, I was telling you in pre-production, the scariest thought that I have had in, in recent memory is what would have happened if I had fallen off my cruise ship in the middle of the night in the Caribbean? When the boat was out in the middle of nowhere, there was no land for miles around. You know, midnight on a cruise ship, there's still a lot going on, but you could fall over the side without notice. Right. And that boat, according to the captain who gave us the update every day, was moving at somewhere between 23 and 25 knots. And I don't know how fast that is, but it seems like a lot. And so it gives you a pretty small window of opportunity to get somebody's attention. And if you don't, the ship is on without you. And you're alone in the middle of the ocean. What do you do? That was a pretty terrifying thought for me. I think there was a movie about just that. There was. Some some people floating in the ocean. For the whole movie, maybe. That's right. Right about a shark. I, did, I didn't see it. <laughs> yes. But, but again, that gets back to the isolation. It's the <clears throat> yeah. help is not available. And you are alone to deal with whatever happens. Whatever that may be. It's pretty scary. So we've got isolation. We've got, you know, the fear that is the everyday. And then I think the last part of that is is the gore, right? It's the it's the trying to elicit something visceral, you know, uh, that you can't fight. I mean, if you pay attention intellectually when you watch a horror movie, you're like, oh, the music is getting more dramatic. That means they're setting up a scare. but And they want me to think that the music is going to bring the scare, but I know that the music will stop. There'll be an anti-scare followed immediately by the scare, right? I mean, there, there's a formula that they're following to evoke that right. fear response from us. And so I think a lot of horror is just designed for that shock factor, which I guess is a form of, of fear. And it's one that I experienced recently at, uh, at Kings Island. So Kings Island is our local amusement park. It's, you know, the Disneyland of our part of the Midwest here. And it has all sorts of, you know, giant roller coastery contraptions and, you know, Crazy, crazy rides that are all very modern and and super, uh, super interesting. Suzanne and I went there on a Friday because they do, um, I think it's called Fear Fest or something to that effect. But basically, they turn the park into uh, a scary park after dark uh, in the in the final uh, weeks of the fall, where they're still uh, sort of open. They're not really open during the week, but they they open for the weekend just for this sort of thing. And, and you probably have something like that wherever you are, listeners. But Anyway, we, we had gone there, and we actually timed it pretty well. We got there just as they opened on a Friday, and so it wasn't at all busy. And we uh, we knew that it would eventually become very, very busy. And so we took advantage of the fact that we hadn't been to Kings Island. Um, actually, neither of us had been there since we met, so in, in like two years. And so we were going to get on a bunch of the good rides while there were no lines and, and just cook off that. And so we managed to do all that. And, of course, there was a bunch of haunted houses. And the haunted houses were, again, essentially to me that same formula. Which is they're they're going to walk you through a room. <clears throat> there's bloody curtains here, and there's going to be a blind corner that you're going to have to pass to on the right. But knowing full well that there's someone on the left here that's about to jump out. Now, if you look at it from that angle, it's not scary anymore. <laughs> you're supposed to walk into it and and just kind of follow the. It's adrenaline. The flow. It's adrenaline shock as much as anything else. Yeah. So, um, and and I think you know Suzanne had a, a couple of good scares at the first one. Um, the second one we didn't find very. Scary. It was actually kind of depressing, but for other reasons that we won't get into here. Um, but what I did think was just absolutely scary, and in in a completely visceral and you know the reptile part of your brain way 
was a ride called the Drop Zone. And we had, we were able to get on this again while there were no lines. And so I just, I've been on this a couple times and I, I said to Suzanne, Hey, you know, is this something that you might want to, want to go on? I, you know, I, you, she's grown up here. So she's been on lots of trips to Kings Island much more than I. And I didn't know if she'd even been on that. And she said she hadn't. Um, and what she didn't tell me was, uh, that she really didn't want to. <laughs> Um, because most of the time when you go by the drop zone, uh, it's like, oh my God, there's a, an hour and 45 minute wait from here. And so I just don't want to be dropped that much and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. So without that, uh, without the benefit of that excuse, we found ourselves uh, on the ride. And for those of you who haven't been in Kings Island, don't know what it is. It's a pole that goes, oh, I want to say 20 stories into the air and uh, a big uh, sort of platter that everybody sits on facing outward. Your feet dangle, and they uh, they essentially haul the platter up to the very top of this spire, and then they cut you loose, and it drops uh, as fast as gravity will drop. Yeah, and you're in free fall. Yeah, you free fall uh, for you know seven eighths of the way, and then uh, the brakes kind of catch in and cushion you down the rest of the way. And I have to say that there's a couple of things about that ride that are particularly scary. One of them is uh, as you go up, and, well, and this is at night, no less. But well, let me just interject. Is any of the scary things about the drop zone the fact that there's a teenager running the ride? <laughs> that might have been one of them, especially. That would do it for me. At, at that time of day. But it was built by the Germans, which I took heart in. <laughs> so, okay, good. I was like, uh, German construction, so this will be fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there is in the back of your mind, is this thing going to crap out? And does it work while it's raining? Because it started raining while we're getting pulled up. Is this, does this work while it's raining? I don't know. It's, not, it's scary. But, but the thing is, you're facing outward, and so... As you're going up, you're like, oh, getting a better and better view of, of the park, and now I can see the surrounding areas. You can see Indiana. Yeah, now I can <laughs> I can almost see my house, which isn't around here. Right. Your house is 30 and miles you, from And you're there. trying to look up, and you realize that, oh, there's still more to go, because the pole keeps going. And this was, I guess it was a, an odd night, because the clouds were very, very low, and the lights were shining up, and you could see the shadow of the ride on the cloud. And we're like, holy cow, we're up in the clouds. <laughs> And so at some point, of course, I hope they don't drop us. It stops. And then, you know, you're, you're just left there realizing that you're about to drop 18 stories in perfect free fall. And what this does is kick, you know, the, uh, the brake kicks off. And then you, of course you drop. And as I say, your, your, your heart goes into your mouth or your stomach goes into your mouth or all of, I mean, literally those organs feel as if they're being pushed up in you. So there's just this really a feeling that I would say, you know, other than those people who are alive today, you know, no one in the world ever felt and lived to tell about. That's right. <laughs> or, or maybe they broke everything and survived. But, you know, this is not an experience that a person was ever going to have and live to tell because you just, it's this sensation of falling. And I have to say, you know, if you had any uh, ideas or notions that you were going to kill yourself by jumping off of a bridge or something, this takes it out of you. You're like, no, I'm going to look for pills then. Because <laughs> yeah. this was not... This was really scary on the way down. And of course, you know, then the brakes kick in and everything's fine and it's all well and good. But that's, you know, that's, I think that's what that other aspect of scary is about is just trying to get to that, that adrenal squishing and, and squirting and feeling that, that special feeling that adrenaline provides. So that's, uh, you know, that's, I think that's across the, cutting across the spectrum of, of sphere. But as you said, it's, a, it's personal. You know, what scares one person isn't what scares everybody. And so, you know, we have... So you have to... Well, you have to keep getting broader and broader. You have to say, if, you're, if your intent is to scare people, what's going to scare the most people? Right. And that's 
It's an interesting topic. It's an interesting topic to sit and brainstorm about because you take from the, uh, well, my story about what if I fell off my cruise ship? Well, it's the fear of being alone. It's a fear of being in the middle of nowhere. It's the fear of being subject to predators. It's the fear of being subject to the elements. But the core of all of it is I'm alone and no one knows where I am. And that's the scariest part of that. And you can take just that element of that scariness and apply it. You can manufacture all kinds of scenarios, but at the core of it is you don't want to be alone and cut off from help. And you certainly don't want to be at the mercy of anyone. Well, and that's a that's a pretty rational fear, right? I mean, there's fears and there's phobias. Right. Because in a, in a phobia, if you're if you're not in the the trade, is an irrational fear. So it's, you know, it's the, it's the fear that, you know, if I don't keep the ice tray full, the dog will die. And yeah. that paralyzes people. I mean, that's, you know, there are genuine phobias and they're not all that bizarre, of course. But, you know, there's agoraphobia and every other kind of phobia that you can think of that it's just not rational to think, you know, uh, I'm going to work today, but I'm afraid a meter is going to hit the building. That's, that's not exactly rational. But being on that boat and falling off seems quite rational at that point because you could i mean the rail is low <laughs> no one notices i'm certainly clumsy yeah <laughs> there, and there you go so yeah i think uh, you know if you're if you're going back to that broader sense it's it's the fear that is true right i mean that yes. could happen it's it's that norman bates might be walking down the street it's that regular people crack the we, yes. we started our very first sodcast i think with the my the uh the miami cannibal right or or you know second or whatever uh, but it was that thing that, you know, just regular people crack sometimes, and that's well, and, scary. And, and, the, and you know, you, you segue from fear to tragedy, but the, the essence of tragedy is people going on and doing something that is normal to them. The normal course of everyday life, and then tragedy strikes. Well, yes. And this is where, you know, like the, the, the recent uh, shooting in the movie theater. People were just going to see a movie, something that people everywhere were doing. And this one went horribly, horribly wrong. And that's scary. It's terrifying to think that that could just happen anytime. Uh, it's why, um, you know, recently, I always say recently, but in the last 10, 15 years, there have been a lot of movies about serial killers. The movie with Charlize Theron in it. Mm. Um, Monster. Monster, right. Um, you know, the, the movie uh, based on the series of books um, that... Um, uh, what's his name was in Anthony Hopkins, the Hannibal, uh, Hannibal yeah. the Cannibal, right? Because it was it, it, they were about characters who had no compunction, no veneer of civilization, who were going to do whatever they felt like doing, and much like the Secret Service tells the president, there is no way to stop a committed assassin who is not in fear of his own life. Right. It is the it is the thing that terrifies the Secret Service more than anything else. Because they know that that is unstoppable. And so that gets to a broader base of fear, too. What would you do if somebody was coming after you who would never stop, who was relentless? And um, so, again, you know, I think there's I think there's a lot of material there if you're trying to scare people um, in the keeping with the demands of our sponsor. <laughs> well, for the... Uh... First time in, an, I think, ever, we have a food porn-related sponsor. And for those of you who are thinking that, oh, okay, it's going to have something to do with candy, you are entirely wrong. Wrong. Psych, we've set you up. What we mean to say is, despite last week's disagreement about food porn, you should leave food porn to the experts. 
We know what we're doing. One of the things that uh, I was discussing the Sajcast at a Halloween party actually over the weekend, and someone said, you know, you guys don't ever seem to eat at home. Based based on what we hear from the Sajcast, you guys are out gallivanting, even you local types, you know, at restaurants seemingly constantly. And so yeah, we decided we would take this Sajcast to point out that we do, in fact, eat at home and cook stuff occasionally. And we were going to share some of that with you here. So rather than just sharing you a picture of the food, hence the food porn, we decided we'd share with you a bit of a recipe, too. So we have we have two items on the uh, on the menu for today. Yes. So one of them is uh, how to make some pumpkin seeds, which seemed quite Halloween-themed. And the other, which might require some explanation, is the Halloween meatloaf sandwich. That does require some explanation. And... My children are no longer in the magical golden years of Halloween um, perfection, shall we say. And but, but they do seize upon the occasion to have a bunch of their friends come over and trick-or-treat throughout the neighborhood. And they use my house and my ex-wife's house as kind of base stations yeah. from which they will foray out. And the timing, you know, Halloween now is a scheduled event in the suburbs where they say, well, you know, in my town it's going to be between 7 and 8. Right. You know, and and so... Um, they were so busy getting ready for Halloween that they had ne- neglected to eat anything. And I think their presupposition was, well, people will be handing us food. And I'll put finger quotes mm-hmm. around that. Calories. Calories. And so my children, and this was my, my two daughters, and they had each brought a friend with them. And they were all dressed up as something. And uh, and now as people who, who own homes, your choice on Halloween breaks into... Essentially, two possibilities. And my neighbors, I've got neighbors across the street who go with the, their lawn is full of lighted Halloween characters. There's ghosts, there's pumpkins. Right. Um, they, they play scary music. They dress up in costume. They're sitting out in their driveway with their fire pit with their table of candy. And they're inviting all comers to, to right. come and, and, and get candy from them. Option two is to hide. To not participate. Up, not participate. To turn off all of your lights, go up to one of the higher floors of your house, and you know watch watch TV, um, and and people you know if your house is dark and there's no decorations, nobody comes. Part of my original because uh, I did I did hide a couple of Halloweens, but it was mostly because the dogs didn't like people coming up to the house, and I just wasn't clear on what to do about it, and everything became about the dogs. But this Halloween, because I knew my kids were having friends over, and I knew that my house was going to be a necessary base station. We turned all the lights on, we got candy, and we were cooking dinner. And this is my girlfriend, Laura, and I, um, uh, she makes a fabulous meatloaf. It seemed like something that was easy enough to do. We could put it in the oven while we're handing out candy. And so she made a couple of meatloafs because, you know, they'll keep. And so all of these children, because it wasn't just my kids and their friends they had brought, but they had a whole train of kids they knew. So there were 10 or 12 kids in the house, and they said, what's that smell? And we said, oh, that's meatloaf. And, and my youngest daughter, uh, who knows how what, what good a cook Laura is, says, oh, can I have some? <laughs> and so the easiest way to do this was to make her a meatloaf sandwich. Yeah, you don't want to give her a plate while right. she's in costume. There's no plate. There's no fork. So, you know, all her friends were out on the porch, and she came in to get this meatloaf sandwich, and then she went out and started eating it around them. And they all tried it. And before long, we were sending meatloaf sandwiches out the front door on Halloween. No nougat, no candy, <laughs> no no red vines, no Twizzlers. We basically gave away all the meatloaf sandwiches we had and children that we didn't know. 
I was going to say, there's going to be some perplexed parents going through the sack going, what the heck is oh, this? Yeah, no, because... Is this a meatloaf sandwich? Yeah, because oh, this, were, that's like nougat, son. You can't have that. That's right. They were, I mean, my kids were walking around the neighborhood with these meatloaf sandwiches, and other children were like, what house did you get that at? <laughs> and my children said, that one over there. They sent other kids to my house to take away the meatloaf that was rightfully mine. The Halloween meatloaf. And, and I got to tell you that I think the Halloween meatloaf will make an appearance again tomorrow because maybe not my children anymore. They may have forgotten, but there are some neighbor children in my neighborhood. Who <laughs> it's a got, tradition. It's now. a tradition for them. And they're like, they're like, okay, man, listen, we can go get nougat over here and we can get this over here and we can get the, you know, the best candy at this place. But the house right in the curve of the road there, meatloaf sandwich. No, no, stick with me. I can see in years to come there'll be you know twenty somethings coming to your house. Like, Excuse me, Mister Mister Roberts, sir. <laughs> you uh, you you might remember us from well every Halloween up until now. <laughs> we don't trick or treat anymore, but we're gonna need a meatloaf sandwich. <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, you didn't even put a costume on. So was there anything special about? I mean, is there anything you want to talk about in the preparation of the meatloaf, or we're just gonna throw the recipe up there? Well, as as our listeners have gotten used to, when it comes to food porn, my powers <laughs> of observation are really not good. Um, and especially when the food is being made in my own house by somebody else, my involvement is, is it done yet? I was going to say, perhaps this story doesn't speak to your ability to prepare your own food as it, we thought oh, it might. Oh, it does not. <laughs> um, uh, this, uh, is about Laura's ability to make a meatloaf and my ability to admire it from a distance. So the recipe involves chili sauce. I know that for sure. Oh. It also involves oatmeal. That's good. Which is another interesting bit. The full recipe will be on the website. And I will tell you that meatloaf is, is, I would say, nature's perfect food because it is good both right out of the oven. Yes. And it is good the next day. I had some this morning and it was good. Well, that was just a sample. That was what pre-production when you're talking about the Halloween meatloaf involves me going home last night and saying, uh, I'm going to need you to make a meatloaf. Maybe four or five of them. That not we, just that we might take a picture of. <laughs> not just the normal, not just the normal ones we need for Halloween, but we need some for pre-production as well, so that we can talk about it with authority on the Sajcast. And I believe there may have been some eye rolling, but <laughs> it did result in a meatloaf that you got to sample, so that now you can speak with authority about the meatloaf. And what we are going to create here in a Sajcast tradition is much like turkey on Thanksgiving and ham at Christmas, and. Uh, Groundhog on Groundhog Day. It's the great meatloaf sandwich, Charlie Brown. <laughs> meatloaf sandwiches on Halloween. I guess I should have held off and, and snacked on it here at the Sajcast, but I, I did not. It was my breakfast. There will be an opportunity in your immediate future. <laughs> as far as I know, the meatloafs are being prepped as we speak. Yeah, so my breakfast <clears throat> was accounted for by meatloaf, and that was today. And so I, you know, I wasn't especially hungry come lunchtime because I had a big old meatloaf for, for breakfast. And... This was just the second day that I've had some culinary, you know, uh, accidents, let's say. Uh, over the weekend, on, on Sunday night, it's Tuesday, yes. Uh, over the, yeah, over, over the weekend, Sunday night, I had a pumpkin that I had carved up and I had reserved all the seeds from. So, now this goes to Halloween is full of pumpkins. These are, when we're talking the big ones here, not the little pie pumpkins, the ones that you carve up. Uh, they, uh, if you've ever carved them up, you know they're full of... Uh, little stringy bits and seeds. Now, I'm here to tell you, if you've thrown those away, you've done yourself a great disservice. Because these things are just dynamite fantastic. They're so much better than the pumpkin seeds that you can buy at the store because they're not from the same kind of pumpkin. 
This is from the, the kind of pumpkin that we carve up, and they taste amazing. So I had taken the, the seeds out over the weekend and reserved them, and uh, I'd washed them or whatever, or actually Suzanne was nice enough to wash them, but uh, had them Sunday night and threw them in the oven. And so here's the recipe for making pumpkin seeds, because, well, it's incredibly simple. You take your pumpkin seeds, you lay them out on a baking pan or some, you know, on top of aluminum foil, whatever, whatever you're doing to get them in the oven. Uh, get them more or less flat so they're not stacked up on top of each other. And honestly, that's really all you need to do. Um, you can throw some olive oil on there if you want. Spread it around. It's a nice touch. Gives it a, a popcorn-like odor when it's cooking. Uh, sprinkle some salt on there also if you like. But basically, 30 minutes at 300 degrees. So it's just a bunch of threes there that you got to remember which zero goes where. It's not 30 degrees for 300 minutes, although that might work. I haven't tried it. It depends on how much free time you have to make <laughs> if, these If your things. oven goes to 30, let us know. That's a very odd oven. Yes. It's called a refrigerator. <laughs> so, yeah, you basically just throw them in there, uh, leave them for about a half an hour, and you'll see them getting all crispy and uh, and crunchy. Pull them out and, and snack on them. And so I I was done with them. It was pretty late. I mean, like nearly midnight. And I, so I started snacking on a few of them, and I was like, I, I really shouldn't do this because it was just incredibly late. So I, I took them off their foil, I put them in a bowl, and I set them aside, and come Monday morning, I noticed that they were there, and I started snacking on those at breakfast time, and, well, not long thereafter, I had consumed an entire pumpkin's worth of pumpkin seeds alone. Uh, sorry, Suzanne, <laughs> if you were hoping to taste any of those, uh, that boat has sailed. Uh, and I was left with, um, well... Actually, the boat has sunk. No, that boat Much has like sunk. the HMS of the Bounty, bounty yes. Yeah, and I was left with some bowels that were not in their normal state of regularity after having consumed, you know, uh, a pound of pumpkin seeds. But well, since, since we are good. talking about things that are scary, <laughs> it was that good. Yeah, so between pumpkin seeds and meatloaf, my my bowels don't know what's going on. <laughs> They'll be glad if I sent them a handful of peanut butter cups tomorrow. And this seems like a good time to invite our listeners to leave comments on the website. Yeah, well, I mean, what what do you do with pumpkin seeds? You know, there's. They're salting them. They're, you, uh, you can even put curry powder on them and pretend you're in That's India. Right. That's kind of fun. And, and you can do all sorts of things. I mean, you could put malt vinegar on them. But honestly, pumpkin seeds are really delightful by themselves. So I, I personally don't recommend over-seasoning them. But, yeah, we'd love to hear, you know, do you what's your equivalent of, a, of the Halloween meatloaf? Perhaps, well, and, Perhaps and, the listeners have some. Right. And if you, if you have a Halloween tradition, what is it? And if you, if you don't have one, feel free to try some of ours because we'll put all these recipes up on the site. You can get a fire pit at your local hardware store. And um, Act now, hurry. <laughs> feel free to uh, to indulge yourself in being an adult on a children's holiday. And with that, I guess we'll leave you until next week. The end of Sajcast number 14. Sponsored by Halloween. Makers of... You're not eating any of that candy until I check it. Especially for nougat. You're giving out apples instead of candy? Or should I say, you're giving out juice boxes instead of candy? You're giving out meatloaf sandwiches instead of candy? And the ever-popular, what, what are, are you supposed, supposed to be? be?